One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It was devastating for my parents and my sibling as well. It took the first time about two weeks for me to regain my speech uh, for the stuttering because it started off with slurred speech, but then it went into stuttering. And um, I had done some some listening and, and to some folks and, and reading and finding out that singing helps to get your speech back if you're a stroke victim. And so I'm a singer, and so I started singing, and I, when I would sing, I wouldn't stutter. And so in singing, that helped regain my speech, and it helped regain my confidence. So I would just sing, and I would not stutter. But if I tried to say a sentence, you know, initially, I couldn't get through without stuttering the whole way, the whole way through. How you did, how you did. Those were the smooth tones of Carissa Johnson as she talks about how she overcame one of her biggest obstacles and one of the moments that truly defined her life. Stay tuned for this, as this is a story about following one's curiosity, refinding oneself, and understanding that we are much more than the stories we give of ourselves. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you're inspired as the week begins. And remember one thing. I always say use your difference to make a difference because I truly believe that each one of you has an ability to make an impact if you look deep within. I love you all. Uh, Please send me a message or at me on Twitter and Instagram once you listen to the episode and I'll give you all a shout out. Love you all. Check it out. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Carissa Johnson. A daring explorer, inspiring author, and engaging speaker, Carissa strives to be a leading advocate for bravery. After being gripped by a devastating stroke at the age of 21, she eventually regained her ability to speak, write, walk. Her courageous efforts led her to explore seven continents before the age of 30, and educated by profession, Carissa taught freshman women at two universities in Saudi Arabia. While teaching in China, she managed to book, there it is, modeling jobs and wrote for a local (laughs) magazine. Her story has been featured on Yahoo Finance, the Omaha World Herald, and several publications worldwide. Her blog is also very, very popular. It's attracted readers from over 60 countries. She loves to speak to explorers and would-be explorers of all ages right from her home in Nebraska. Now, I met her in uh, Omaha when we were both speaking at a, an Africa Leadership Summit, and I was fascinated by her story, and I knew I had to have her on. So, welcome to the show, Carissa. Thank you so much, Tyle. It is a joy to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is mine. Can you, can you take us back? Because your story has so many sure. layers, right? Because we have the, you know, what happened post-stroke, but I'm very interested in what happened before stroke, because... What you ended up doing after mm-hmm. 21 is pretty amazing. The fact that you could reach all seven continents by the age of 30 and then still be able to speak to different people and inspire people to just explore the world that is ours, um, that had to come from somewhere. I mean, even if you didn't realize it before you were 21. Yeah. So what, what was it like yeah. growing up? Man, it was it was a full life growing up with a family of seven I had um, four or have four siblings. Uh, my mother recently passed in July of this year after battling cancer uh, for two years, and and my dad uh, is a military man. So those seeds of traveling were poured into me and and, and sown into me at a very young age. My parents and I and my siblings we traveled all around the country, but I didn't take my first trip abroad until I was 26. But my parents and I we took. And my siblings, we took road trips galore all over the country. My sisters and I, uh, we sang as the Johnson sisters, and my mother played the organ and the piano for us. And 
And so we, we traveled extensively throughout the U.S. singing growing up. So I, I've always enjoyed traveling and exploring. So those seeds were sown at a very young age, and I'm really grateful for that. And uh, both my parents have done mission work, and uh, my dad in uh, Ghana and Kenya, and my mother in the Philippines. And so those uh, levels of exposure were magnified throughout my life and had that stirring up inside of me, that level of curiosity, like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, and so it was. It's been generations. My grandparents, as well, um, have served in the ministry and and traveled and um, done mission work abroad. So it, it comes from generations. So it was kind of inevitable for me to do this this type of of life. So I'm really grateful for the seeds that were sown. But at 21 is when I had the stroke. And what led to that? I was a student at Oral Roberts University. I was taking 22.5 credit hours. And if you know college work, university work, that is a heavy load, right? <laughs> that, is, that is crazy. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, so I was taking 22.5 credit hours. I was working two jobs, one job as the assistant to the dean of students, another job as the head resident advisor, one of the head resident advisors on campus. And I was also in an unhealthy relationship. Mm. Uh, that did end in sexual abuse. And so two weeks before graduation, my expected graduation in 2007, April 23rd, 2007, two weeks before graduation, my body started to tell on me. It was telling me that I was stressed, that I was overwhelmed, overworked, and that I hadn't really had a release, hadn't been able to talk to someone. And where the dean of students' office was, was located right beside the counselor's office. And every day I would want so desperately to go into the counselor's office, but I'm like, I'm a counselor, I'm a resident advisor, I'm one of the ones that are supposed to help people. I can't go, you know? So I was thinking, I just gotta figure this out on my own, pray it through, talk it out with myself, and talk it out with the Lord, and I'll be fine. Mm -mm. One thing that I have learned about life is that your body will tell on you. And if you're happy, it'll tell on you. If you're upset, frustrated, it'll tell on you. Whether you're sweating, whether you get a headache, a stomach ache, your body will let you know what is going on. And so uh, immediately, uh, April 23rd, 2007, I was sitting in a friend's dorm room, and I just sensed something, and my body was off. And I, I really just jerked. Which was doesn't really happen much from what I'm seeing with people who have had strokes, but it, I just remember being kind of jerked. And um, at that point, I just grabbed the phone and called the girl whose room I was in, and she was in a car full of people. And I didn't realize that my speech was going to be slurred when I said it, but I said really slowly, "I think that something's wrong." And I remember sounding like that. And she was in a car full of people, so she didn't hear what I was saying. She was like, okay, bye, Carissa, and hung up. And I'm like, no! So, <laughs> very quickly, I run to, not very quickly, I take, I take my time, and I walk to the dorm, which is my own, on the other side of campus. And meanwhile, people are looking at me like, are you okay? Because I'm usually pretty joyful, pleasant, you know, bubbly. And they noticed something was off. So I get finally get to my dorm room, I look in the mirror, and at that point, my mouth had been pulled to the right. And I saw with my own eyes that it looked like I was having some type of stroke, and it was a mild stroke. So I went down the hall to one of the resident advisors, and I filled her myself. And long story short, I was rushed to the ER, and they definitely uh, discovered that I had, they said TIA, CVA, I had experienced a stroke. Wow. Wow. And, and, and obviously, you know, you were in school then, so, you know, you didn't graduate, I guess, with your classmates and your schoolmates, and you had to Man. recover. Man, and that was humiliating, because I didn't say this part, when I was coming down uh, the elevator, whether it bring me down the stairs, I can't remember which one it was, I do remember saying, I want to put the sheet, and I said it with a slur, I want to put the sheet over my head, I don't want people to see me like this. Mm. Wow. That was I was devastated because I just saw myself. I'm a leader on campus. I'm showing myself broken, beyond vulnerable. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. 
And it was really one of the best things that could ever happen to me because it showed me the importance of pace. Pace is key and also asking for help. And uh, if I had to learn that lesson at 21, thank God, you know, that I'm not learning it at 40, 50 something when I have a family that's depending on me. I was single, no kids. So I'm great that I learned that then. Um, but it was just, it was dope. Wow. It's, yeah. You know, this idea of pace is always something that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have to learn how to manage. And, then I, you know, I keep hearing in the news, especially particularly with um, someone like Elon Musk, we hear a lot of overworked, um, overstressed. And my mom is always worried about that with me because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, know I, I tend to be one of those type of people that says, I don't need sleep. But it, it is something that you, you're, you're right. You do have to start to listen yeah. to your body. Um, yeah. uh, and and that, so I'm curious about the recovery process because, you know, losing yeah. your ability to speak, write, and walk. Oh, my gosh. How do you relearn all that? And I, and it was it was devastating for my parents and my sibling as well, as well. It took the first time about two weeks for me to regain my speech uh, for the stuttering because it started off with slurred speech, but then it went into stuttering. And um, I had done some some listening and, and to some folks and, and reading and finding out that singing helps to get your speech back if you're a stroke victim. And so I'm a singer, and so I started singing, and I, when I would sing, I wouldn't stutter. And so in singing, that helped regain my speech, and it helped regain my confidence. So I would just sing, and I would not stutter. But if I tried to say a sentence, you know, initially, I couldn't get through without stuttering the whole way, the whole way through. I just stuttered there the whole way, the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a challenge. And um, then for my my writing, I remember I'm, I'm right handed, and so initially I would just start using my left hand because my right I couldn't even raise my hand, and that happened. That was about you know about two weeks of of trying to get my hand to work again, and so. I remember taking my left hand, putting it on my right hand, and trying to guide my right hand to write. And uh, even one time, I was trying to lift my spoon to take some soup, to have some soup, and I tipped over to the right side, and I just cried. I just I lost it because I couldn't believe that the wires were so crossed, and and I I lost what was so normal to me. That sense of normalcy was gone, and so it took a lot of patience uh, to walk myself through that process and then even just the walking as well. Uh, physical therapy, just moving my legs with the assistance of others, using medicine balls, things like that to try to re- regain my, my strength. And then um, a lot of time in nature and, and being outdoors, that's one thing that brings healing to me instantly. Even now I have central post-stroke pain sometimes and that's if I'm allowing myself to get to a point where I am overwhelmed or anxious for something. I get like a burning sensation on just the right side of my body. That deals with anxiety. So I'm still learning that I have not mastered it all, but I'm learning that when I, if you, this is the thing that, that came to me uh, maybe last year. Movement helps move it. Movement helps move it. So if I sit here with the pain, the pain will sit here with me. But if I actually move, remove myself from the situation, go outdoors, get into nature, sit by some water, touch some grass, and literally hug a tree. <laughs> movement, <laughs> movement helps move it. And when my mom was battling cancer, the same thing. Um, it just helps stimulate that that body in motion, helps bring about the healing. You're inviting the healing when you move. Wow. wow. It, you know, with your story, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is because that particular path, you know, a lot of us are on that path to try and find a purpose, try and find things that we're doing. But yeah. you needed to listen. You needed to start working internally first. You needed to understand what yeah. your body was saying, and then, and, yeah, go ahead. My dad. I remember a, a place. I'm in my home right now, and my dad. He looked at me. He saw me broken. He saw me depressed. He saw me very dark. I hadn't been. I hadn't fully recovered. Uh, and he said, "You're looking too low. That your gaze higher." I was looking at my situation. I was looking that I hadn't graduated. It took me four extra years after my senior year in college to actually graduate. Because <laughs> I was, and I got, I took 22.5 credit hours so I would graduate on time. That was the whole point. And so it took four extra years 
to actually finish. And I was so humbled by that. And and my my dad was just like, you're looking too low. You got to set your gaze higher. Raise your gaze. Set your gaze higher. And when I stopped look, looking at what was what I thought failure, and I start looking at what was potential, it shifted. Like, what can happen if I actually try to do this class? And I would continue with counseling. I got some. I had some counseling, and what helped was I kept on saying. I have to finish school. I have to finish school. She said, break it down into smaller steps. You have to finish this assignment. Not even you have to finish this class. You have to finish this assignment. Now I need to finish this sentence. Break it down even smaller. What's the next word? So breaking it down into smaller steps made a world of a difference. Breaking it down into smaller steps made the world you. Like, so that's, okay, so, ah, I love stuff like this because... That's exactly, that's exactly what you need to do in terms of trying to build your career or trying to become a thought yeah. leader in space. It's, you know, even if you want to become recognized for a particular industry or something, you have to start with the first book and write your first blog and do your first speech yeah. and, and do your first interview. And right. Yeah. 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 That those small steps. And as you started to rebuild yourself after the stroke, talk to me about how you use those steps to create this goal where you were like, I have to reach all seven continents before I'm 30. Man, when I got my degree, when that degree finally came in in 2011, I'm like, well, how am I going to treat myself? How am I going to reward myself for this labor? And so it just was stirring up in me for months that I wanted to go somewhere abroad for the first time. I graduated at 25, I believe it was 25 in June when I, when I graduated in 2011. And in August... I, uh, in July, I turned 26. In August, September, around that time, I took my first trip abroad to Europe. And it was initially supposed to be a group trip. And everybody dropped out one by one. This person can go. This person can go. This person can go. And I'm like, well, all right. Am I just going to not go? Or am I going to go and try to figure it out? I went. I went solo on my first trip abroad to Luton, England. Luton, England. And not too far from London, and I got just smothered with love from my UK family, which were uh, a host of uh, Caribbeans from Jamaica and uh, Barbados. I mean, I got loved on so well. We went on a, a, a one-day trip to Paris, even while I was there. Uh, I came back to Luton, explored London some, came back home to Nebraska, and I'm like, what in the world is out there? I got to go see it. So my degree is in international community development. My right. concentration is special education and teaching English as a second language. And so I'm like, I'm working in HR, this amazing public power company. Been working here for four years, making $50,000. It was before my degree. And I'm, and this is 2011. I'm like, well, do I stay here or do I go to China or Asia, somewhere else in Asia, make a thousand bucks a month and have the experience of a lifetime? I'm like, oh, let me look. Uh, I think I'm going to go. <laughs> so I, made the, I made the decision in my heart in November of 2011 that I was going to start searching for positions abroad. And I was on a plane to China in February 2012 going to teach. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, but for those listening, teaching is another, is another way to travel, right? So if you... Absolutely. Yeah. So if you speak English, you speak any other language and... You know, you're thinking of traveling. If you can teach yeah. a language, whatever it is, uh, yeah. in a different country, that's another way uh, for you to. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, and even if you don't have certifications, you can you can still, if you're a native English speaker, you can do that. And so, like around 2011 is when I after I took my first trip abroad, that stirred up inside of me. I wonder if I could see all seven continents by my 30th birthday. That's when it started. After I got back, I'm like, would that be possible? <laughs> <laughs> I was 26, oh. Kyo, 26, when I took my first trip abroad. 26? You did, you did it in four years? Less than four years. I, I was 29 when I made it to Antarctica. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so, <laughs> so China, you, you started to do that in China, and then you started to get really, really hip to different ways to travel. One is to, to teach. And so you taught in China, and then you also uh, wrote for a local magazine, so you were doing odd jobs, but then you also taught 
in Saudi Arabia, right? Um, and you already you had gone to Europe. Uh, how did you do Africa, South America, uh, you know, you know, and um, Australia? Well, you know, while I'm in China, of course I had to go to Africa while I'm in China. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> I mean, Australia is closer. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, it is August 2012. We have vacation time available. Why not go to Cairo in the middle of the revolution? Does that sound like a plan? You went in the middle of the Arab Springs? <laughs> so tanks on the ground. Right, right next to my hostel, brother's hostel. Uh, yeah, I think this will be a good time to go. So I went. I went, and I'm telling you, they were at the airport waiting for me with the sign. And I'm like, it's going to be all right. I had this giant of man named Mohammed who took me around the city. I went to Alexandria. I mean, I was taken care of, man. And I, and it, it was low cost, but just high love. And I, I was like, if I can do Egypt, uh, if I can do Cairo in the middle of a revolution, what can I not do? And so <laughs> I went back and it was, it was not, the thing is like, there's the whole danger of a single story. I know you've seen that talk. Yeah. Um, the danger of a single story, and yeah. I and most people were like, "No, Carissa, you're not going. You're not going to Cairo." And I'm like, mm, "I'm going," and I went, and I went, and I was fine. I was safe. You know, you, you use wisdom wherever you are. Period. If I'm in Nebraska, if I'm in Alaska, if I'm in Nevada, or if I'm in uh, Buenos Aires, you know, I'm using wisdom wherever I am. And, and that is key. You, regardless of your geographic location, you need wisdom. And thankfully, I believe I was born with some street smarts and, uh, and some, some book smarts as well. So that combination, <laughs> pretty powerful. <laughs> and the thing is, I'm not doing it alone. I had help. I had help. You, you try to do things on your own, you don't come up empty-handed and broken, busted and disgusted every time. But right. I had help every single place that I went. So that's the thing. You look at your, what I call, army of accountability. If I'm going into a place that I don't know, I try to look, whether it's on social media, some people who are in that city, check the hashtag, people are from there, reach out to them. Use your resources, whether electronically or actually physical, tangible resources. Use them. Use book smarts and street smarts. Yeah, book smarts and street smarts have your army of accountability. The danger of the single story, which uh, Carissa was talking about, is a talk by... Uh fellow Nigerian, uh, Chimamanda uh, Ngozi Adichie, and she talks about the idea of, Woo! yeah, you know, defining people by, by you know, their, you know, singular story. Either you can think about this with bias and stereotypes where maybe you, you've only heard one thing about a certain group of people and that becomes how you see a whole group. And so when she was in Cairo, you know, you, you were careful to look at stereotypes and understand that there are individuals as well that not everybody is the worst thing you've heard about them. And, and, and that's, and that's something we all need to understand today in, in a very reactive climate where we are very us versus them instead of, I need to understand uh, something that's different. So that's a good mindset. But then the army of accountability where you, you had help, I'm sure, you know, you, did, you, you did your research, you all, you had that as well. And then you started to go to different continents. You um, found different ways you were, you were adaptable. You, you realized that uh, you could, you know, use your English to, to take you to different parts of the world. Uh, I'm very, very curious then about Antarctica. It's a very different uh, continent yeah. from the others. It, it's not like you could just fly in there. So no. what was that like? And that was the most challenging one to plan for because uh, financially, that trip was, fi that, that expedition was $5,000. Now, Tayo, every single one of my trips that I took, I paid for. I saved for. I didn't use any credit cards. No debt was created for any of my travels around the world. Not once. Everything was based off of what I had. And I, I'm thankful for, you know, the lessons that I've learned around uh, the world with regard to stewardship and that also biblical principles. I'm grateful for that. You know, what you have, use what you have and use wisdom. 
um, with it. So I didn't want anything to follow me back home other than memories. I didn't want any bills. <laughs> I didn't want anything to follow me back home other than memories. Like maybe souvenirs I could bring with me, but I was not interested in having any debt attached to my trip. So planning for Antarctica was a challenge, um, but actually a really great opportunity because I, I had to be very strategic. So teaching in Saudi Arabia before going Antarctica, to Antarctica was a smart move because I didn't have to worry about rent in Saudi Arabia. I taught at Princess Nora University, the largest women's university in the world, and then I taught at King Saud University, a very prestigious university in, in Riyadh. And so teaching there allowed me to do what my first step is. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This in my book, Stack My Chips. Mm. I really was able to stack my chips and, and that way I was able to save my money, send my money home to pay off student loans and pay for my car, my car note at the time. But number one was stack my chips because if I didn't have the savings to do that, I was, Antarctica was just going to be a dream. It was going to be something actually realistic for me to attain and accomplish. So I saved money so that I could go to Antarctica. And when I saved um, the amount that I needed to, to make my down payment for it, I held my breath because I'm like, okay, I'm booking this. I don't even know if this is this, if this is some type of fake scam. You're, you're who, who takes trips to Antarctica? I didn't know anybody who had gone to a trip to Antarctica. <laughs> I'm literally closing my eyes, and most of my flight style, I'm telling you, I would, I would book it. I would close my eyes and press the button. Uh, you had to learn. Yeah. I had to learn to be afraid, and so. I was freaked out a lot when I did it, but I did it afraid and booked book the book uh, the flight to Argentina. So I got Antarctica and Argentina knocked out at one time because we uh, cruised out did the expedition from Ushuaia, Argentina, Argentina. So um, I booked the flight there and uh, I got there and I'm looking around and I'm not really seeing or meeting people who are going to Antarctica. And I'm like, are you going to Antarctica? <laughs> so I'm still, I still have doubt that this thing is actually legit, regardless of, you know, what emails came through, verifying that it went through, all of that. I couldn't find anybody that was going. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So anyway, long story short, I am, I'm at my hostel, and uh, I look out, and I see, I see some women who look like they're from America. And they're walking and laughing, and they're women of color. They're black women. One thing that I've been told is that black people don't travel enough, or black people don't travel, or even Americans. One thing I heard all around the world is, why don't you travel? Why don't you Americans travel? Why don't you Americans travel? And where are you from, Nebraska? Where's that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to get people more familiar with Nebraska, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, be a missionary for travelers for Americans because if I know we're out there, but we're we have to do more work to be present in in global travel. Just not just going to the Caribbean. I think we do that very well, but we don't cross over enough and really take time. That's my thought, my personal thought. I didn't meet a lot of Americans while traveling. I simply didn't. And so when I was there uh, in uh, Argentina, and I looked out the window and I saw some black women, some sisters that were walking down the street. I said, there's no way that these women are in Ushuaia, Argentina, just to see Ushuaia, Argentina. Mind you, it's gorgeous, but these are women who um, who were maybe 
in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I'm like, this is a nice place, but it's only one reason that I think they're here. And so I was just saying a little prayer in my heart, please let them be going to Antarctica. Lo and behold, the next day, and I didn't run out of my hostel and go tackle them, but lo and behold, the next day, I'm walking to the ship and I see Delta Sigma Theta. And for those who don't know, that is a black sorority. And that was on one of the one of the shirts of one of the women. And they're walking toward the ship. And so I, for myself, I was in awe. Uh, I had not experienced that. So you had 80-year-old, 50, 60-year-old uh, black educators, women. Um, they were women who were going to Antarctica. And when we got to the continent, when I got to the continent, uh, we did the cruise you know, expedition. We're rocking back and forth. People getting seasick, all that. Uh, but when we actually got there, and I did my first hike up the hill after I finished sweating, I sweated in Antarctica, and I looked out and gazed at the mountains that were absolutely awe-striking. Took in the air, the freshness, the crispness of the air, I just lost it. I looked down at everything that I was wearing, everything I was wearing tile was given to me from someone on my journey. I didn't realize it until that moment, I just happened to put it on. And from every single continent, I was wearing something from someone. I just happened to have it on and I looked, felt like God was saying, look at, look at what you're wearing. I looked down from my, from my toes to my head, to the turban on my head from my Saudi Arabian students, to the gloves from my roommate in Israel, uh, to the leggings from my friend Trey, who I taught with in Saudi Arabia, who's from Florida, to the sunglasses from my South African buddy, to the journal in my pocket from an Australian. I mean, every everything that I was wearing was from somebody on my journey. And I, I couldn't believe that I made it, but it wasn't, it wasn't because of me, it was because of my army. And, and it was the people who, who walked it with me. And um, that whole being to Antarctica was, it, it, it brought everything full circle. And uh, I just had nothing but gratitude in my heart. Wow. So. <sighs> Man, that, see, now you understand why I wanted to have you on the show because, <laughs> it, I mean, for anyone listening, you know, you listen to Carissa talk, you, you hear her story with, you know, the background, you know, family, um, you know, army, you know, um, they were also, you know, sort of missionaries sometimes. But understanding the importance of pacing yourself, treating your body right, and then being brave. That, that idea of being brave, it's such a foreign concept the older we get. And you graduating, you know, a few years after your, your peers and then saying, yeah. I'm only going to make one brave decision after another, whether it was to go to China, to leave your corporate job, to take the trip to Nebraska. And, and you just cultivated this habit of, I'm going to continue to be an explorer that dares to, to, to see the world and engage with people from different parts of the world. How are how can people listening who haven't gone through a near death experience or who haven't gone through something um, as traumatic as that cultivate a habit of bravery in themselves? Every day, every day, every day, you have to do something that challenges you, even in the smallest way. Uh, this morning, I did an Instagram live. I do not do Instagram lives, but I'm like, I am getting ready to be on this podcast. I need to challenge myself. And I did an Instagram live of me making a smoothie. And it was really <laughs> ridiculous. It was really ridiculous. I laughed a lot. I fumbled a bit. But I had to be vulnerable and just say, okay, I'm going to push myself just a little further. So every time you push yourself, you're developing that muscle. It's like It's like using a muscle. So when you use it and then you use it, you add a little bit more weight to it and you add a little bit more weight to it, it increases and it, it, you gain strength. But if you don't use it at all, you're becoming stagnant and complacent and there's no growth. But if you use it, you increase your strength and not only are you stronger, you're able to do more for others. So it's always pointing outwardly. Um, my, my, my heartbeat, my anthem is go do be, go into all, go into everywhere that you must go. Go and do everything that you must do. 
go and be everything that you must be. And that is my anthem, go do be. It has to be because it's, it's beyond us. I'm grateful that I was able to explore. I'm grateful that I was able to share Christ on <coughs> continents. I'm grateful for that. But most of all, I'm grateful that I was obedient. I was obedient. And some people are like, what's success to you? What's success to you? Success is obedience. Obedience to what I'm called to do. And, and I'm called to go to do and to be and, and share that with others because it's not, it's just not about me. It's about what am I called to offer to the world? What am I called to exchange? What am I called to glean? And, and when you get that and you get that, the beauty of service, like, man, you've won. You wow. have won. What are you called to do and how are you going to obey that? Uh, wow. Mm -hmm. Obedience. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, the concept exactly. of listening to, to your heart, listening to, to your calling and leaning into that fear, I, I, I've, always, I've always been um, attracted to that just because, you know, I think, you know, with a lot of my heroes, whether it's, it's people that I've admired, in, you know, as authors or as um, leaders, one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of times when they first started, they had a lot of naysayers and mm. they really had to have a strong sense of self. Which I believe mm. you started to even develop more after the stroke, where you you yeah. look like you looked inward to say, "Well, who am I? Who's Carissa Johnson?" Mm. And so that self awareness starts off, you know, starts that off, and then, yeah. well, who am I? Then what do I want to do? You know, what do I want to do? And mm. then you're like, "Well, I want to travel to these seven continents. I feel like there's much more outside uh, than I've than I've you know been living in." And then from your experiences, it sounds like you got even richer, and you mm. learned a lot. And then yeah. just, the, you know, along the way, the fact that you were sharing your story started to inspire others. And, you know, you, you, know, you became a speaker, you became an author. And, and I think it's always interesting the power that stories can, 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 um, can really um, cultivate and really just gather people together. There's, uh, storytelling is like one of the oldest forms, oh. forms of connection, connective oh. tools. And uh, I'm curious if you could talk about how you decided to tell your story in the different ways with different people that you met in different parts of the world. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I said this at the Leadership Africa Summit that I've never been exposed to storytellers like Africans. And when I was in Kenya, oh, my God, I just I, I literally sat at people's feet. And just <laughs> break from their cup because the storytelling, the pictures that they painted with their words, the colors that I saw with their verbs, it was just, ah. So when I was a child and I would hear a speaker and my eyes would widen and they would look like golf balls because I would be in awe of how they created a story for me, I wanted as an adult, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to have that same effect. I love story. I love storytelling. I love listening more than even telling. When it's a good story, it's like, I would love to just listen to a good story because it takes the people on the trip. Some people will never go to Antarctica, South America, North America, Asia, Australia, Africa, Europe. Some people will never go to Tanzania. However, if I tell the story well, they will be able to retell it well. And they will travel there as well. So whenever I even meet somebody from a different country, I'm exploring their country. As I'm watching their lips, their hands, as they're speaking, I'm exploring their country. And they're doing storytelling just by speaking in their native tongue, their native uh, language, their native, uh, uh, what's the C word? Uh, uh, what's the C word? That, no, the dialect. Dialect, the, dialect the, the, yeah. The, uh, I, I even remember in when I was in living in China, and my roommate Emma, she uh, heard me on Skype with my family, and she said, "Are you speaking another language?" And I was speaking English, but I was speaking in my way of speaking with my sisters, and so it sounded like a completely different language to her. Yeah, but she was fascinated. Like she ran, she, "Are you?" Are you speaking another language? <laughs> no, that's just how I communicate with my family. So I, I love I love traveling 
when I meet someone, you know, whether it's in Nebraska and I meet someone from a, a different region or country, I'm, it doesn't matter where I am, I'm able to explore where they're from, the way that they speak, their mannerisms, it allows me to be part of a journey and, and their storytelling just with their walk, their storytelling just with their mannerisms, with their hand gestures. I'm traveling just by watching them. Wow. Wow. <sighs> this is, I don't know. I, I love, I love just hearing um, stories like yours just because I think it's a reminder about the power of, of the human spirit, you know, the power yeah. of what we can do when we set our minds to do something. And, you know, I, you know, I feel like each one of us has a personal calling and each one of us has an ability to impact uh, a sphere or, or influence or a group of people. And if we mm. tap into what our skill set, you know, skill sets are, you know, we become unstoppable. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you, you found your calling. This, this is, and you put it in, a, you put it in, in an ebook, um, Seven Steps to the Seventh Continent. Can you tell us about that? Sure, sure. And, um, and I, I'd love to, to tell you about that. I just, I have to, it's just coming up to me just right now. I just wanted to share this about my Saudi oh, girls. Sure, go ahead. My Saudi students at, at, at the different universities I taught, uh, it was such, the best way I can explain it is a very humanizing experience because you see these beautiful women with the hijabs and the abayas and the niqabs and you are curious and perhaps passing judgment in a way of what you think they're like. And I have to share this. I try to share this every single time. My Saudi students are the ones who taught me about Snapchat. They taught you what? They taught you what? They taught me about Snapchat. Snapchat. Oh, really? I didn't know about Snapchat. And they said, teacher, are you on Snapchat? Are you on Snapchat? <laughs> and and I, I share that because it's very humanizing. And so I appreciate the modesty that they taught me. I appreciate the, the devotion to prayer that they taught me. Although they believe differently than I do, I learned so much. And I was their student while I taught them. I was their student and I remained their student. But about the book, I just had to share that. No, first of all, even before we get into the book, I, I want to even add on that. I think that's so key. You know, obviously, you know, I'm Nigerian. A lot of the audience knows I'm Nigerian. Yeah. One of the things I had to deal with when I first came to the country was people's surprise of my command of English one, but my also uh, knowledge of, of pop culture. And I, I think it's always interesting because, you know, when we think about bias and we think about certain things, a lot of what seems to be determined as cool comes from the West, right? Hollywood, right. the artists right. are here. So when people come to, to the United States or to England, you know, they learn their culture as well as the other culture because they know they're already thinking, I'm not trying to stand out and I want to be able to find common ground, which is the same thing that I always tell people to do when they're trying to travel, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Finding common ground is key because, you know, if it's learning a few words in language or understanding just those those simple things because once you do yeah. that you start to learn how to humanize people because it's everybody has bias so it's not uncommon for you to think oh my gosh i'm used to i, I always thought that this is how you all acted and i saw this in the news but if you don't mm -hmm. learn how to find yeah. this common ground you're not going to be able to individualize and i Go think on. we need to learn how to find how to look at people for who they are and then even do the work to just um explore and that's you know, that's what you, you and your students were doing, whether you knew it or not. And yeah. I, oh, yeah, I try to remind people of that because people will try and put you in a box. It's it's like our brains like to make things easier. Right. Yeah, but we're well, more than the, a box. The Buddhist monks in Laos, I have a video on my YouTube channel of me laughing. I mean, they are laughing with me and they're saying, well, welcome to La, uh, uh, La Prabang. Uh, so glad to have you here. Hope you have a good time. And they're laughing and that was humanizing because you don't always see it painted with monks laughing. And so I have a video of it capturing that. And I'm just like, gosh, one of my friends, Cedric, who taught in China and Saudi Arabia, went to college with him. He said, that's humanizing. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Ah. Talk yeah. to the powerful Carissa Johnson. Was about to tell us about her ebook, or is it? Is it a, yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us. What's okay, the, the longest title in the world for ebook. This shows how green I was when I wrote it a couple years ago. Seven Steps to the Seventh Continent. How I Planned for Antarctica and What Really Went Down. The title. <laughs> but, but I don't usually share all seven steps, but I'm going to do it today because you're tired. 
<laughs> thank you. Thank so, you. The first step is stack your chips. You gotta get your coins together if you're trying to make it to Antarctica. Whether you're gonna do it with a credit card or whether you're gonna do it with cash money, stack those chips. Number two, choose a time and choose a port city. Either you're gonna be porting out from South America or perhaps from South Africa. You're gonna need to choose your port city. Number three, gear up. Get your clothes together. You have things galore to have for your trip. And if you don't have it, you're gonna look crazy in Antarctica. Number four, brace yourself. You're getting ready to encounter and experience a trip and experience of a lifetime. Brace yourself because it, 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 it's going to rock the world. Number five, choose your room. And then I also cross out and your roommate. Because really, most of the time, you're going solo. You don't know who you're going to rate a room with. I ended up rooming with a lady uh, uh, from, I think she was from Texas, and then a lady from Israel. So that was brilliant. And if you can choose your room, do it. If not, if you're up for something, just explore and let them figure it out for you. Number six, accept divine connections. I had so many brilliant people on that ship. I think there are people from 40, I think it was 40 different countries on the ship. And it was only like close to 90 people there. Something like that. It, it was it's maybe close to 40 uh, different countries were represented wow. on wow. one. And it was only like 90 of us. It was only like 90 of us passengers, but it, I think it was 40, 40, something like 40 countries. Maybe it was 26. 26 or 40. <laughs> either, way. <laughs> either way, you know what we're going to say? It's more than 20. It's more than 20. <laughs> <laughs> it was 40. No, it was 26. Anyway, so number seven is take the plunge. Take the plunge. Go for it. And, and that is the, the polar plunge. I, I allude to the polar plunge that I took where I got in my bathing suit with the rest of the expedition travelers and explorers. And we got in our bathing suit somewhere in our, their speedos and we ran into the water. And there was even, there was black, it was like black coal on the ground in Antarctica, one of the locations, um, Deception Island. And there was a volcano in Antarctica too. It wasn't live while we were there, but we saw it. Uh, we ran into the water, took the plunge, and then we ran back to shore and got our blankets and everything like that. But it's like, you got to do it. Take the plunge. Go for it. That's how you plan. You take the plunge. You you decide in your mind that you're going to do that thing, and you make it happen. Take the plunge. Thank you so much. I mean, your whole story is, has been about taking one plunge after another and, and going <laughs> even deeper. So, uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean... I feel like you've answered this throughout the interview, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How do you use your difference to make a difference? I ask all my guests that. Absolutely. I use my difference of seeing the world by the age of 30, seeing all seven continents before the age of 30. I use that difference to, um, again, crush the whole danger of a single story and, and also to correct some lies, to clarify some things. Bring wow. some food. Say for, say, for instance, this week I, sub I substitute teach. And I was at an elementary school this week. And I said, what do you think of, I had some free time with some students, what do you think of when you think of Africa? Because I always love to hear this, especially from elementary students. <laughs> and so I heard a couple different comments. And then I heard helpless. And I said, what did you say? Helpless. And this is before I had shown any pictures. I said, well, why do you, why do you say that? And she talked about, well, they don't really have anything. And she went on. And I said, I'm so glad that you brought that up today because there's some lies that are being told about certain places. And so I took some pictures and I said, where do you think this is? And they guessed this, per this particular place. I said, actually, that's in Nebraska. They actually thought it was a different country. Where do you think this place is? Um, they, they guess somewhere in Africa. I said, that's also in Nebraska. And then I said, where do you think this is? And they are like, oh, I think it's in Europe. I said, that's in Kenya. It's a golf course in Kenya. It's actually lush and very green. And it was with me in the picture walking. So there is a danger in hearing and reading one single story and not experiencing it for yourself. Wow. It's beautiful to hear great things. And it's, it's sad to hear sad things, but when you experience it for yourself, there's nothing like it. 
That's so it. Yes, read books. Yes, watch movies. Yes, glean from your elders. But you find out for yourself. Nobody can take that away from you. There you go. Well said. Wow. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's such a powerful way to close as well. So anyone feeling the love, where can they reach you? What can they do? Where on the Googles and the internets? And the, I'm sounding like a very uh, like an old person doesn't know about Twitter. On the Facebook and the Twitter. Uh, so where where on the internet can they find you? <laughs> on the internet, my friend. You can find me at 7by30.com. That is S-E-V-E-N-B-Y 30.com. And if you're wanting to get my book, it's 7by30.com forward slash books. It's available in English, English and in Arabic. It's oh, wow. available in Arabic as well. And guess what? It's a buck for English and four ninety nine for Arabic because I had to pay a little extra for that. So I'm trying to get that money back. oh man oh my goodness uh that is so powerful so i I just want to thank you um for coming on the show thank you for your bravery and thank you for your honesty and uh just the grace with which you've allowed your your life to 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 take Uh, i think we can all learn a lot from it and um thank you for opening our eyes today this has been a very great episode this is my honor it was my honor thank you so much The pleasure is mine. And ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.